We're trying to amplify and light, light, light into the world. Yes. Peace, light, and love. Om Shanti. Okay, let's get going. Right. Action. <laughs> start at the beginning. So, what inspired you to start Serenity and Leadership? What inspired me? Um, well, it, it's kind of a long story. Um, We've got time. Because uh, I've worked in the corporate world for 28 years. And before that, I was uh, um, a Royal Marine for 17 years. So I've seen a lot of people in power and... Um, the, the people that really stand out to me are the people who uh, didn't abuse their power. They were uh, people who inspired followership by the way that they were, which was essentially uh, based in humility um, and, and also a sense of peace. I, I remember one of my old bosses who led one of the the, um, the the companies in Four Five Commander during the Falkland War, and he taught me so much. And I remember occasion, well, occasionally, a couple of times, I really messed up, and uh, I would go to him and say, "Colonel, I'm really sorry, but I've you know done this, that, and the other." And he would look at me and say, "We'll go and sort it out." And it, it was like this. There was no tirade. There was no uh, um, great expression of, of of energy or anger. It was just, well, here we are. Let's. What, what have we got to do about it? So, that it's that sense of serenity. That it's that sense of leaders who come from a place of serenity within themselves, who um, are connected to to a, a deeper level of themselves who don't lead through their ego. They don't lead because they need to feel in charge. They don't lead because they, they have some, some need to be seen to be in charge. They're not egoless, but they are not driven by their ego. Those are the leaders who are the most um, effective. Yeah, you know, I, I was talking to someone the other day, and they were saying the ego is the biggest liar of them all, and uh, and and the heart does not lie, the gut does not lie. So, so being in touch with the the, the aspects of oneself, which really help you to to see what really truly needs to be done and how to do it, you don't have to think about it. You know, and that's. That's that's the serenity piece. I still haven't answered your question, really. I've been interested in in gender and uh, gender differences, gender dynamics, and so on for for a very long time. Uh, Maria Gracias da Silva gave this speech at um, OTC, the Offshore Technology Conference, in two thousand thirteen where she was speaking as a CEO of Petrobras and um, she was, I, I think there were an awful lot of women in the, in the room because it was a, a, a sort of a, a being a woman in a man's world type 
subject and there weren't very men um, there but she talked about abuse and she talked uh, about how she had had to fight her way up the the organization and the effects that that had had on her and how she brought up her two daughters whilst uh, being successful in the business um, and her fundamental message was this is not for the women this is for the men it's for the men to start taking responsibility for the way that they behave in organizations and she wasn't being exclusive of women what she was saying was women can fight this battle forever but until men stand by them and work with them nothing's going to change really and that's where we are people are fighting for equality and i i just don't think that's that's the right objective because we shouldn't be fighting or because equality is not something we should be striving for well um i i take it as read that when we talk about equality of pay or equality of value if if whatever the gender of the person if they're doing a particular piece of work it should be rewarded equally but i think what that does is leak into the the, the whole sort of feminist argument about uh, men and women being equal and i don't think they are i think we're different and it's it's a little bit like saying an apple and an orange are equal they're both fruits we're both human beings but we're different and I think that the bit that we're missing is uh, creating an environment where the best of both can be expressed. Mm. So seeing the difference as strengths, if they are nurtured and supported to flourish in that way. Yeah. And how men and women can work together with their differences if their differences are seen as strengths. Totally. And that perhaps a lot of feminine qualities that you know, we will talk later about the feminine and masculine, but if I suppose we're both under the the idea that the feminine is repressed in most workplaces and it is the qualities of feminine that we are missing today when it comes to listening and compassion and creativity and intuition. All of those. And um, it, it, I, I think it's very sad that an awful lot of women who are successful do it by expressing their masculine mm. not their feminine uh, and and I, I i think that that's why you know i i, I said the other day you, you could have a team of all men and if within that team there were men who were very much in term in 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 uh, touch with their feminine and were expressing that and it was balancing some of the the, the, the masculine all st all amongst those men that would probably be a brilliant team but um, equally then you you run the risk of losing the experience of what it's like to be a female a woman and how that informs and i, I think that that would be so welcome if that came in but it the whole system suppresses that it quashes it or it just rejects it it pushes it away so yeah because there are two levels then aren't there there's kind of our experience in a society in a culture that gives us certain narratives around what it means to be a man and a woman and then 
our abilities to call upon different qualities that we have chosen to label feminine and masculine and how those can be used to their best advantage in a workplace or personal life. And, and the marriage of those two, perhaps, is, is what serenity could be a little bit about in a context which, of... Which is actually why, when, when we set up serenity, the original aim was to have a retreat, and it was called the Gladiator and the Goddess Unite, <coughs> which was trying to acknowledge the great strengths that there are in both the masculine and the, the feminine. But I suppose serenity took a different path from that original idea and can you just talk a little bit about why it went on a different path? Well, I think the, the, the fundamental aim of serenity and leadership remains the same and, and that is to attract leaders and influencers, people who uh, through their behaviour um, affect the lives of a, a number of others bringing those people together to help them explore uh, what they have suppressed and really essentially saying well what would it be like if you were fully expressed if you as a man for instance could really feel into and be vulnerable like you know because i think for a lot of men that just feels seriously scary um, but that's just the way that we've been conditioned um, and yet, it's that vulnerability that enables them to be open to other people. It enables them to, to really listen. It enables them to, to have an empathy uh, to, to others. Um, and so they're not just focused on their own stuff. They're, they're focused on what is, what, is, what, is, what is the effect that they're having. Um, you know, in, in the corporate world, one of the things that I... Uh, find myself very often asking uh, a leadership team is uh, okay you've made this decision it's a very exciting decision you're going to do this you're going to take over that you've got this new strategy um, you're going to go into this new market whatever it is tell me what the 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 um, uh, the unintended consequences are of your decision and the masculine would say never mind that let's you know we've got a plan let's go for it but to take the time to explore actually what are the consequences of what we're deciding. Uh, you, you have to have a, a sense of um, vulnerability and willingness to challenge yourself to do that. And then you've got to have a sufficient openness that if you then say, well, actually, the unintended consequences of this are... Um, not that terribly good to, to, to then say well okay maybe we, this plan wasn't so brilliant after all actually um, or when you're lost and uh, the woman will say well why don't we stop and, and ask directions and the man will say no, no we're, we're fine we'll, we'll manage uh, I think we're on the right road uh, and it's just this uh, willingness to be open to um, being wrong actually without uh, and and I guess just face up to the ego that says no no no, no you're, you're you you can't show weakness here if you stop or you ask for, for directions you're being weak 
it's a very powerful word, the word weak. Mm. Um, you know, they, they, they do these, what they call it SWOT analysis, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats. That weakness bit takes people into not a terribly good place. Uh, and it's often the, the, the least filled in box um, because it, you're showing all sorts of vulnerability by exploring that. Okay. What was the question? <laughs> the question was what inspired you to start Serenity and Leadership? And I suppose there's a few reflections there, one being responsibility and people owning their responsibility, but then not having to do that alone and operating from the heart and maybe the intuition, not so much the mind. But when you're in that space, I think you are more vulnerable to self-doubt in a way because your mind can trick you into thinking that you have the right answer. And we live in a very complex, fast-paced time. So do we really have time and space to tune into different levels of understanding? Well, a lot of leaders would say you don't. Um, I don't have time for this. You know, give me the answer, then we'll do it. And one comes across that a great deal. So um, taking time out to actually review where you are and uh, are you on the right road? And if you're not, it is now the time to ask whether there's a better route or just keep going because you think that it's going to be okay. Mm. There, there is another thing in, in the creation of serenity and leadership, though, because um, I've been very affected by, in my experience, by people in power and their abusing power. And uh, that started out when I uh, had a, um, a very tough time when I was at boarding school. Uh, a headmaster who honestly took a great deal of pleasure well i think he did um in 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 uh in causing boys a lot of physical pain in in the first school it was the masters who had the power and they wielded it or the headmaster particularly in in the the senior school public school uh, it was the boys it was the senior boys who had the power and they wielded it and i i can remember one who who had, if you like, honour um, uh, in the way that he um, managed the power that the system gave him. Uh, but I remember an awful lot of others who abused the power that they had. And uh, so it, it, that that's sort of left its own mark um, on me. And... and um, so when I see people being abused in in whatever way, it kind of um, it it creates a, a huge um, impetus in me to 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 say there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a better way. You do, you can be successful without using people. You can be successful without abusing people. Mm. Um, in setting up Serenity, what I wanted to do was to to um, play a part 
in helping leaders see that there is a a, a new way and it's not a new way it's it's a a healthy way of being uh, where it's not just about making money it, when you employ people you have a responsibility for them you can't just use them we've done that for a couple of centuries at least um, and the damage is everywhere the, I, I think one of the things that we we, we come across to, today is that because of the sophistication now in in the therapeutic world you see the impact that early experiences uh, have on people and because you can see it we have a responsibility to prevent it happening and where it is happening to stop it so if one of those early experiences was your school years do you think were you never put in a position where you could have abused power in that system i don't know and do you think you had a conscious awareness around how power was being played out in that situation at that time or only with reflection now if you'd asked me that question, I probably would have said yes, but I, you know, I was in the experience and going between surviving and loving the place. And it's a sort of this, this paradox of being in a beautiful environment uh, with superb facilities and being desperately unhappy. Uh, and and intensely fearful. So fear was the, the the major thing that I was sort of living with, and causing it was causing me to behave in a particular way to avoid certain things. And uh, but at the same time, there was a part of me that wanted to stand up to it, uh, and yet I wasn't very successful at it. So, you know, it, it's like um, you, you keep sticking your head over the parapet and someone keeps smacking you around the chops and you, you keep doing it. It's just sort of an de early definition of insanity. So I was a bit insane, I suppose, at school from that point of view. And it's interesting that you mentioned fear because obviously fear is often a product of the misuse of power. So how do you think fear plays out in organisations where structures are misusing power? Uh, um, there's no question that fear is is a huge motivator uh, for the people in power because if they can see that they're creating fear it makes it very easy for them to control them and that you see this in politics um, and you see it um, all over the place uh, um, right now I mean the whole Brexit drive and everything else it, it all comes really from fear fear of either being ruled by someone that is doing making you do something you don't want to do or fear that some terrible thing is going to happen to you I, I remember running an offsite for a large organization some years ago and and we it was it was very clear to me that uh, the way that the senior managers were running the business, they were creating fear throughout the rest of the business. And uh, 
I I wrote on a flip chart piece of paper this you know I drew an elephant and put it in the middle of the room and I said you know they said well what's the elephant and I said well, what do you think it is and and uh, I think one or two people got it and they said yeah, it's it, it's fear I said yeah that's right you are creating fear and there was this sort of almost this 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 repost in in unison oh no 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 we're not creating there is no fear in the business in just the same way funny enough if you if you phone up a ceo and say look we want to come and help you with uh the the generation of fear fear and the the way that power is expressed in your organization i mean we've done a, a lot of phoning around and you get two standard responses one we don't have it here it's not a problem that we we've, we've got or we're dealing with it internally so the, the 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 openness the willingness to explore is not there why not well a lot of that is fear as well um but it, you know I, I, if you put a group of women let's say from that organization take a smattering from a, a number of different departments put them in a room make it completely safe completely anonymous and say all right tell us about power and how power is being expressed in this organization do you feel safe for instance i'll lay you odds on they'll say no we don't we don't feel safe and uh we feel not listened to we feel abused you know that's a big word um, but that they're we talked a little bit earlier about the, the senior leadership that might have really good intentions um, to create an environment which is inclusive and there isn't any harassment and there's no expression of uh, dysfunctional expression of power and all that. Um, but the, the middle management often... are not in tune with uh, that will. And what's more, a lot of senior management don't actually, honestly, want to hear the bad news. You know, an enlightened leader will say, bring me the bad news first, then I can do something about it. Mm. But an awful lot, and I really have seen an awful lot of senior leaders who, eat, they might say it, but their behavior when they're given something, it's almost always the messenger that gets shot. And so the, the, the important information messages don't get. And it makes me think back to that original story about your, your commander and how he was very serene in whenever you brought him a problem or a mistake. And so what, what enabled him to be calm in the face of mistakes or challenges that other leaders maybe don't have that ability and that they see things as very negative when actually conflict can be an opportunity for learning you know challenges and failures can be reframed for growth so there's always an opportunity for a positive outcome out of a negative situation but is it does it link back to time that they don't have time to deal with the bad news or the problems is that a pressure it's there? A, it's a perception. It, it's very easy to say, I'm too busy, because you know everybody's got a ton of things that they need to do. But part of that is a prioritization. 
And part of that is, um, oh, what's his name? The guy who used to be the, the chairman of ICI. He wrote a, a fantastic book about uh, when uh, on becoming um, a chairman of a company. He said, the first thing that you should do is spend three months on a beach thinking, really thinking about the organization and where it's going and, and stuff. So, you know, really investing time um, because that time is so well uh, invested. And of course, when you're, there's a very big difference between a chairman and a CEO because the CEO is under pressure from the shareholders and the, uh, you know, all the, all the pressures that, that they're under. I remember coaching a, a CEO years ago and he was the third CEO that year because his predecessor had been fired. And he was terrified. I mean, he went into the job terrified because the, the, the business was in a bit of a mess and he'd been told to sort it out and do it fast. But, but, but that makes me think, you know, if you're going to spend three months on a beach thinking and if you're being brought in to sort something out, it again reinforces the idea that a leader or a CEO is the one person with the answer. And I suppose I feel that serenity is part of serenity is acknowledging that not one person has all the answers. So being able to ask for support when you need it and which is that expression of vulnerability that we've yeah. already talked about. Yeah, but also if you're spending three months on a the beach thinking, then what about ask, talking to the people in the organisation and really not making assumptions on behalf of people, but understanding what people are really going through and how they really feel. Yes, and if you look at all the really successful leaders, they're all people who surround themselves with uh, people who are able to do the things that that individual can't. So part of that is understanding uh, what you're good at and what you're not so good at. And then you go out and find people who are good at the things you're not. Which again is that, that piece of humility. The, po the point about Harvey, Harvey Jones, um, going on the beach, John Harvey Jones, w was that um, his, his point was, don't try and rush in there and change things. It, you know, look, look at the, the politicians and the leaders who are given, uh, they're put in charge and they feel this great need to make a difference, to make a mark and do it quickly which is why you ricochet from one disaster to another. Uh, look, look at the way that education is managed in this country. Yeah, or the criminal justice system. Or the criminal justice system. The, the, these are all people with good intentions and absolutely uh, zero uh, sense of, of longevity. And, you know, you're just a little cog, you know, with a big hat for a short while. And trying to make a huge change, either because you believe in it or because you need to make a big change because your ego needs it. Mm, as opposed to working with what you arrive to and listening to people. And yeah, listening, really going out and listening. I mean, that, that, that's, and, you know, that's, that's leads, leads us on to this, the dialogue business. Yeah, it does. Do you want to talk about that now or do you want to talk about, yeah, why not, I suppose. So we have been doing an open series of dialogues. Dialogue is all about listening. And so I suppose, can you, 
say a bit about why you've chosen to use this method of communication with people um, to explore these themes of gender and power and identity? Well, you're the inspiration for that. Um, and um, the reason that I think that dialogue is so important is that uh, uh, it's, it's a way of bringing people together for people to listen, but also for people to f be heard. And we have a, um, a, 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 a clash of men and women, and you talk about the, the battle of the, the, of the sexes and, and, and all this kind of thing. All the time that people see this as, as a war, we're not going to get anywhere. It's not going to produce anything useful. And the other um, approach, which is to legislate also, yeah. all you're doing then is closing the, the gate after the horse is bolted. What I fundamentally believe is that if we're going to change the way that men and women work together and be together, um, but particularly in the workplace, is by uh, is by defusing a lot of the tensions that people are bringing in. Which means that men have really got to hear when uh, women. I don't like to say men and women like that, but it, because there's plenty of men. In fact, there's there's a lot more men. Um, being abused than people feel comfortable thinking about not as many as women but but nevertheless the abuse happens both ways and of course acknowledging that men and women that male and female there are other gender identity labels now that we are also navigating in terms of talking which about. just makes the picture a lot more complicated uh, and it's another reason for people to be um, abused and excluded so yeah uh, it's it's having the dialogue it's creating the safe space where people can come together and 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 listen to each other truly listen and notice and be helped to notice when their biases and beliefs come up mm. and start to make them think in a particular way when people notice that then you begin to get a change because then they can make a conscious decision about uh, listening uh, 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 to the person as opposed to just hearing it through one's own filters which is never going to produce a good result. Mm. So the, the abused, uh, the harassed, which whatever gender they are, need to feel listened to and uh, again this this masculine feminine piece the masculine wants to hear a problem and solve it and actually what the feminine needs in both men and women the feminine what the feminine needs is just to be heard yeah. and then the whole and you can see it actually um, if you if you if you have uh, the, the right environment, you can actually see a person's body relax as they feel like they have actually said something and been heard. And I suppose the other important thing to mention is that it is a very non-judgmental space, 
And I suppose when putting that in an organisation that has a culture of fear, then the fear might be, what are the repercussions of me being open and honest in this space if I'm then going back into a culture that is controlled somewhat by fear? And so it's managing that tension, I suppose. Which is why um, I actually believe that this change... Uh, and the openness and the willingness to explore this has got to be done uh, from the top down. You know, a, a lot of change initiatives actually uh, work best when they come from the edges of an organisation, not from the top. The top's got to support it, they've got to create an environment, um, but change, uh, um, when it's born at the edges of an organization actually is much more effective than some big uh, change initiative that comes from uh, the, the, the executive suite, the C-suite, or like, you like to call it. In the gender um, environment, I, I do actually believe it needs to start at the top. Uh, and and uh, the leadership have to explore their values, how they're living their values, uh, and what their their beliefs are, and then adopt behaviours that support where they actually want to go. So often, uh, a leadership team or the CEO or the head of HR will say, oh, come in and work with this department. And I'll say, yeah, I'll work with that department, but actually it's, it's not going to make that much difference because you've got a leadership that are behaving dysfunctionally or they're not supporting um, this, this initiative and truly supporting it. And part of truly supporting it is that leadership holding the middle management really responsible for behaving in the same way. And that actually is a big challenge, not least because it takes a lot of management time to do that. It's one of these things where senior management will say, well, where's the value? You know, where, where's the effect on the bottom line? I can't see how we're going to save money or make money by doing this. And that's, for some, it can be, it's quite a big leap, unfortunately. So would you say that is one of the biggest challenges to bringing about change? from a serenity and leadership point of view. Yeah, it's it's finding it's finding uh, leaders who who are really open to challenging themselves and exploring the 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 impact that they are having and really, you know, it's like holding up a mirror to someone, because sometimes what you see in the mirror is, you know, if you really look, it's not so good. So it's much easier to go out and solve other people's problems than solving your own. Which is why we need a healthy dose of compassion. Yes, compassion for oneself as well as for others. Yeah, and understanding that we're not, maybe we're going to be, we have to hold ourselves accountable and responsible, but at the same time, to really change, we need to do so in a space that is loving and non-judgmental, because that's when we allow ourselves to change, because we come out of defence mode into this openness to another possibility and another way of being. 
Yes, and it's that word loving and love. And I, I, I you know, I was, as you said it, I was, I was thinking the number of CEOs I've talked to and well, the moment you get into this kind of stuff, oh, look, that's woo-woo, mm -hmm. or it's soft skills, or it's, it, it, I don't run this company for love. You know, I'm, I'm here to make a profit. Mm -hmm. and, and, um, but then the other side of that is this, you know, notion of psychological safety and that teams that feel psychologically safe are able to take more risks and be more innovative and that those are dependent on more soft skills and communication skills and the skills that are often overlooked. So there at some point those two things have to meet. I remember being called in by um, a new leader um, I'd been working with his predecessor and we had this communication and, and, and uh, leadership program running which <clears throat> had rave reviews and the guy said to me, this is not going to change them, is it? <laughs> this program you're running. And I said, well, actually I think it probably will, yeah, because that's the idea. He said, oh, I don't want that. I want the guys making money. And he'd been in the program. And so, I mean, that, that actually, I think, is one of the great challenges in, in working in the corporate world is that you do have someone who's enlightened or really wants to make a difference. And they, they start a program going and then they get promoted uh, or they get moved on or whatever. And the new guy comes in and there's this desperate wish to impose their own mm. ego on um, the thing and they stop it but is that ego also driven by an expectation to achieve results by someone else yeah and when it's the CEO it, well, it could be the board um, and it could be the, the shareholders it, it could be um, lots of things uh, unfortunately we're in a world where uh, shareholder value has a a value which is out of proportion to the, the whole of the system in, in which we, we're working. And uh, it's not going it, to work long term. And we're now getting a stage, and if you read Yvonne um, Shoichuna and that, uh, he, he describes it very eloquently how we are already getting to the stage where this short-termism uh, isn't going to work. Um, it's, it's not going to work. But you've got to be able to take a step back from things uh, and, and, for instance, to be able to say, well, yeah, I am the boss and these are my short-term goals, but actually there's a long-term goal, it's more important, and I'm going to stand by it. Mm -hmm. And that may mean that shareholder value goes down for a couple of years. But actually, long term, it's what's needed. And some CEOs will get fired if they say that. Um, which is sad. Because those are the ones you actually need who've got some sort of longer vision, which isn't just about making money. Because the, 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 the making money piece it's the same mindset that allows abuse. It's the same mindset that creates fear. 
so leadership is a hot topic right now. Diversity and inclusion, gender, these are all kind of buzzwords, which we always have to have some caution around buzzwords, of course. So I suppose, what is it that makes Serenity and leadership different from other organisations that are helping and enabling and supporting leaders? And maybe some of the methods that Serenity and leadership use to, to achieve those outcomes. Hmm. So... I, there are there are a lot of. Um, <laughs> I want to react to something you said there, because you you said leadership is a hot topic at the moment. You know, leadership has been a hot topic forever. That apparently there are more books written on leadership than there are on sex. Um, so it, it's like, uh, and you go to any uh, any um, bookstore at an airport. And you just you know the 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 books on leadership are um, there's just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them. But do you think we're redefining what leadership means? I think that there are some. That's a good question. I like that question. I, it, there, there are some um, fundamentals that don't change, and then there are elements that do. The, the challenges that leaders face today are more complex, more challenging, uh, and more difficult than I think they've ever been. Um, and, and so the, the ability to see what is important and to be able to focus uh, on that and to discard an awful lot of the other uh, things is a great skill. And it is much easier to do that if your mind is not screaming at you um, and and giving you all these different things that, that need to be done because they're, it's just distracting. Uh, you know, you, you will see now that some leaders actually take time out to meditate. Richard Branson is a, a, a good example of that where you know, he takes small chunks of time during the day, no phones, no interruptions, just a, a, a quick sort of re-grounding that again is is one of these sort of paradoxes where uh, I'm so busy I don't have the time to do that and yet if you gave the time to do that you wouldn't be so busy mm. um, so leaders of the uh, um, this really brings brings us into what um, I felt was a fundamental when I created this business um, uh, I was lucky enough to 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 go um, rafting down the the Grand Canyon um, a few years ago, and just watching the canoeists go down the rapids, uh, it, it, it's it's such a strong metaphor for me because you can't really canoe back up again. So once you're committed, you you're going. 
So you've got to go with the, the, the flow. And at the same time, you've got to make slight corrections because otherwise you'll cream into a, a rock here or a rock there or, or whatever. And so having that inner serenity to be able to hear your inner guidance tell you when to make those small adjustments will get you down there without grief. And the more that your head is cut into this, the more likely you are actually to, to, to um, come to grief. And one of the things that they always do before the big rapids is they stop and they get out and they go and look. And they look at the, the, the situation um, where the, 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 the real points of danger are and then they come back in and then they go with it. So they give themselves the time to look at a situation from a, a broad place. They'll talk with their colleagues because other people will see things that they don't. These are all little metaphors for how I think um, leaders need to really face up to the challenges that they're, they're facing. And then you go down and it's, it's just an amazing feeling of being in the flow and allowing yourself to just adjust in the moments, in the places where uh, a, a small movement or adjustment creates all that's needed and you 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 do see leaders like that except for they don't have the advantage of being able to look at the river first well uh you do and you don't you do and you don't and that's a little bit of the harvey jones going on on the beach bed or um um, what was his name? The, the old CEO of, of um, Travelers, but it became Citigroup. Um, it, what he used to do was to take his leadership team away once a month to this this place they had where they just had sofas and there was no agenda. They just talked in their own dialogue way, basically, not as you would lay down the rules of dialogue but nevertheless it was a place where people could say what they needed to say and they weren't just shot down straight off and it led to an incredibly successful uh, um, business because he wanted his leadership team to really talk to each other and be members of a leadership team not just wearing the hat of the particular department that they were in charge of but they were there as the leadership team and that's kind of the same as going and looking at what because each person has their own view and their own sort of filters that they see things through then you go back and you're working um another story coming up but we'll hold that for another time <laughs> So I'm not sure if that totally answered the question. Maybe it did metaphorically, but I suppose what is my sense of what makes serenity different then is that every voice is heard and valued. It's explored from different perspectives. There's a deeper level of understanding. There's preparation and being in the moment and responding in the moment, sort of 
Are these qualities that you hope to create in leaders? Are these conditions that you hope to facilitate in working environments? I mean, and how would you go about, obviously we've spoken about dialogue, but what other methods do you use to create this space, this conditions, this way of thinking, this way of listening, this way of decision making? I, I, I don't think I could claim that this is a, a unique approach. I think one of the principles that I work on is that you have to honour the system. So that when you come in and you want to change everything straight away, you're not looking at the system. And you, what you do is you automatically generate a load of resistance. It's like not looking at the river and then steaming down it and then you get into one of those things where uh, you can get stuck forever. Um, because the, the, the system will re resist you if you don't work with it. So what does that mean? That means that, f for me, it's really important to go in and understand an organisation. Understand what the leaders want to achieve. Understand how the organisation is configured, whether that actually is mitigating for or against what the leadership want to achieve. Understand timescales and therefore the pressures but understand the, the unspoken and the unseen dynamics that are being lived out in the organization. So um, coming in, acknowledging what is, acknowledging where you want to take the organization to, and then having a, a, a view of the, the overall, uh, uh, and by that I mean, uh, well, it depends on what the brief is, um, because sometimes you've actually got to look at what are the relationships with suppliers, what are the relationships with customers, what's the relationship with the community, what's the relationship with the environment. All of those th things ha ha play a part. And maybe that's not part of the brief. So, but what what we're trying to do is work with that wider system, uh, because when you honour that and you acknowledge what it needs, then it's much easier to create change that actually works. Mm. And I like that you use the word relationships in that sense because that comes back to power and the power dynamic that is always at play in any kind of relationship, in any kind of situation that we know is not acknowledged or spoken about or named or understood. And by bringing that to the surface, then we can empower each person in that situation, mm. hopefully, mm. and bring about a flourishing on everyone's part. Hallelujah, that's what you want. Um, okay, so I think this is the final question then. Um, and I suppose it, it is about what, what have we learned so far? So we're, we're using a slightly different approach. We're taking <coughs> time to be in dialogue with lots of different types of people to explore gender, power, different dynamics and what are some of the things that have surprised you or enlightened you or transformed your thinking in any way or reinforced or reaffirmed any of your thinking? So I think that one of the things that I, I have come to see is how complex the situation is, how 
uh, yeah, I mean, how deeply complex um, it is. You can see the attraction for AI because you can program it. You can give it an algorithm, and you can say, "Right, do this," and and it'll 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 do it, and it's predictable. Um, whereas in the real world, we have human beings, and they're all unique, and they all have their strengths, and they all have their hang-ups. And um, how to get the best out of people means really listening to them and really suspending judgment. And uh, I think one of the things that has come out a number of times for me during the dialogues is uh, noticing my own judgments or noticing how I'm surprised by something that someone said and not surprised by something uh, someone else has said. And all that is about is my own experience. If, I ha if somebody is saying something that I have experienced, then I can empathize and I can add to value probably to what they're saying because I've had my own experience of it. If I've never had that experience, then in order to add value, assuming that's what I was trying to do, uh, I've got to start from an uninformed place. But don't you think the value you're adding in that situation is just to listen to them? Totally, totally. But the male in me, you know, is always wanting to find a solution. So, um, the masculine in me. So, uh, I, I noticed that going on. You know, it's, it's part of my uh, process, my function too, that I want to, if I see somebody suffering, to just be with it uh, is incredibly difficult. Because you want to fix it. Yeah. And, and of course, that, that is something that um, happens over and over again. When somebody sees somebody suffering, what it does is it triggers your own suffering, which is why people try and stop someone suffering, when actually that might be the best thing for them, because they can't deal with their own suffering. It's uh, maybe a bit of a complex, um, complicated concept but uh, we see it lived out all the time all the time what else have i noticed i've noticed that men don't want to come and have dialogues some men do yeah the brave courageous men right and there aren't many of them uh, it, 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 what it does is emphasize the the openness that is there is in the feminine to talk about uh, an issue and to explore it for their own healing uh, and for what they can contribute. I think, this is a theory, that typically the masculine wants to be given the problem and then I can solve it. And that's not, not, not what dialogue is about. No. So I think for a lot of men to just think that they're going to come somewhere and talk about something, you know, in a talking shop, it's like, I've got better things to do. I could go down the pub or I could watch something on TV or I could have a nice dinner. So uh, one of the challenges we've had is, is uh, framing this in a way that is more attractive to men because we need men. We need the masculine coming in and giving their point of view because uh, 
women need to hear mm. men. And we heard that in the very first dialogue, really powerfully. We've heard it in quite a few, I suppose. Yeah. And that, that's been a very powerful thing, that the amount of women that have acknowledged that they often dismiss men's feelings or don't think about what it's like to be a man in today's world. And therefore, perhaps that leads into why men don't come, because they feel that part of themselves is dismissed. It's not welcome. That part of themselves that wants to be open and vulnerable is maybe not welcome, but we need to hear it, and women need to hear it, to feel compassion towards men in a culture and a climate that is often very hateful and accusatory and judgmental. I think the word misogynistic is very destructive. As is toxic masculinity. As is toxic masculinity. Although <coughs> someone was used a different... They, they, they said it's not toxic, toxic masculinity, it's toxic humanity, mm. which I thought was very helpful because it happens from both sides. It really does happen from... Because we had this whole thing about queen bees that's recently come up, where women actually uh, can be much more unpleasant to women than men. Yeah. But I think this word misogyny, it's an unfortunate word because it, it truly means the hatred of women. And I don't think, I mean, there's the incel world, which I think probably is mis misogynistic. But most dysfunctional expressions towards the feminine don't come from a I hesitate to say this, don't come from a hatred, they come from a, a self-hatred and a fear of the self which is then projected out onto women. And it's projected out typically by the use of power so that there's a sense of domination which puts that fear and self-hatred to sleep. And even with incel, mm. we'd still have to question what led someone, you know, they're not born with a hatred of, of women, so what led someone to that point? And I think that's the point that going beyond, like we said, below and beyond what we're met with to why and the context that that sits in culturally, from a family point of view, from an educational point of view, from the place of personal pain, and looking at that complexity and trying to understand, bring understanding and compassion to each person to meet them where they're at with the knowledge that we're, we're all capable of change, that we're all capable to change for the better or the worse. And it's the conditions that we create for that change to happen in that's the most important. We won't change if we feel that we have to defend ourselves or we feel judged or shamed or guilty of something will only change if we feel supported and understood and loved. Mm. And you've sort of kind of gifted there the, the, the root of serenity and leadership, which is creating an environment uh, where people feel safe to change. Mm. convenient then isn't it <laughs> I feel like that's a good place to stop <laughs>